think I'm up to something Dirty feet, I'm running, nigga, tryna find my way, 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 way Another episode of Unapologetically HBCU. It's your boy Jordan. Today I got with me Nick, Adelia, and I think we got a special guest. D, who who's our special guest today? Hmm, we do have a special guest. Special guest, can you introduce yourself? Um, okay, I'm Kristen. I am Charleston and Adelia's little sister, uh, and I am a graduate of the Spelman College. Hello, class of 2020. Spelman College was founded as Atlanta Baptist Female Seminary in 1881 by Sophia B. Packer and Harriet E. Giles. Spelman College, which officially received its name in 1924, was named in honor of Laura Spelman Rockefeller. Spelman is a private women's liberal arts college located in Atlanta, Georgia, and is part of the Atlanta University Center. Spelman has been ranked the number one HBCU for 15 consecutive years and offers bachelor's degree programs in areas such as education, humanities, and physical and natural sciences. For more information, please visit spelman.edu. Yay. Hey, Pandemic class. Are you guys right. sensing a pattern here? Audience, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, can we? All right. No. So yes, we do have Kristen here with us. And Kristen is um, not just our sister and a graduate of Spelman College, but she is also um, a member of a very amazing, not a member, an employee mm -hmm. of a very amazing organization. Kristen, who do you work for? Um, so I am a political associate uh, with Fair Fight Action, um, the voting rights organization based out of Georgia that was founded by uh, one of the biggest voting rights advocates uh, in the country, Stacey Abrams. AKA my twin, awesome. And our Selman sister. Exactly. Again, a trend oh here, goodness. just saying. <laughs> I mean, well, they, they're not number one for no reason, so I get it, I Thank get it. That, Jordan. But oh, yeah, I do sure. have a question. So I know your sisters went to Spelman, et cetera. And I know, of course, the family history of HBCUs. But did that drive you? Did you know early on, like, I know I'm going to an HBCU, like from the get-go? Or was it like something that you really just made your decision based on the school and not based on family history and legacy, uh -huh. I would say? Yeah, it was definitely based on the school. I actually tried to steer clear of Spelman at first because I didn't want to be like my sisters but then it just out of all the schools I got accepted to Spelman felt like the best choice so it just happened that way and it was the best choice so okay okay had you no I didn't actually Spelman was really the only HBCU that I thought of um, in state um, I really wanted to be in Atlanta so Geographically speaking, Spelman was in the right place for me. Was it also based on your major or did you pick your major after attending Spelman and then deciding like, I want to go into politics? Um, I would say major as well. Um, I was an international studies major at Spelman and they have a really good program for international studies. They even, I don't know if they still require this now because of the pandemic, but uh, at, before the pandemic, we were required to you know, study language and even spend a semester abroad. So real good times. So where did you go? 
I, so I studied Chinese for three years and then I went to China for a semester. It was great, a really good experience. <laughs> 10 out of when 10 you, recommend. Say- 10 out of 10 <laughs> recommend, yes, the food, amazing. Transportation system, very sustainable, love China. So would you just say in general, studying abroad, you would recommend to everybody or especially for international um, politics or international majors, would you say you definitely recommend? I think everyone should study abroad at least once in their life. And, and, and if it's not studying abroad, like if you're out of school, just get some sort of long-term travel experience just because you learn a lot about other cultures and just the world in general. But I would specifically recommend like maybe a country in Asia or like Africa or South America, just something that's not European because like, I feel like the, I, the people I know who studied abroad in Europe, like their experience was drastically different, but in a way that like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if they like, uh, I don't know how to say this in the best way, but um, I guess learned as much or um, that makes it's sense. okay. We're unapologetic over here. It's okay. You could just blast them. We all but yeah, I, I would recommend like a, a non-European country. Fair, fair, fair. Well, before you got to Spelman, like, did you have any preconceived notions about HBCUs? I know you had mentioned that you wanted to be in like Atlanta, but like, you know, what I'm saying, did you did you think it was going to be like Drumline or or like Stomp the Yard? Like, what did you think it was going to look like when you got there? Um. So I actually didn't even really think about HBCUs for real until uh, my dad talked me into applying to Spelman. Um, but then after, you know, I applied and got accepted, of course, I started to think more about it. And I definitely thought I was going to find my little boo over at Morehouse. <laughs> <laughs> it did not happen that way. Um you you didn't have no gate dates. I, I heard that's a thing at the uh, at the Spelman at the AUC rather. Gate dates are a thing. Like coming walking back on campus, you see a few, but uh, you never participated. Is what I no, mean. no, did not participate in gate dates. So. it seems yeah. like all the Wilder sisters are sticking to their story. <laughs> right, it's rehearsed. They they just pleading the fifth or they didn't right. <laughs> No, it's no men of Morehouse are good. They are, they can be very good friends. Um, yes, good friends. Got you. Hashtag friend zone. Yeah, I'm right. taking into sarcasm here, but we don't really have to unpack that. <laughs> That's another episode. <laughs> um. Okay, did you so, intern while at Spelman or did you start working with those types of organizations like uh, Ms. Abrams' organization after you graduated? Um, I had a few interns, internships while at Spelman. Um, I actually, my freshman year, I had a fellowship with the um, Hillary for America campaign. So I would go and volunteer all the time. Um, that's when she had a campaign office uh, in Castleberry, actually. Wait, this was 2016. 16. Okay, so when Hillary, when was running for president, Secretary Clinton was running against Trump. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so oh, wow. that um, my first college experience. And then I was an intern on uh, Leader Abrams' campaign. I was a research intern. Um, 
when she was running for governor. Yes, when she was running for governor. And then I was also um, an organizer with the Georgia Democratic Party. Um, I interned with CARE, which is a, a national nonprofit, excuse me, a global nonprofit. Um, they're focused on like development, but specifically on uh, with assisting women and girls. So like in developing countries. Um, and then I came to Fair Fight after that, after my experience with CARE. So do they push a lot of that? Not push, but like, is that like prevalent on campus? Like where, because I know like my school, I don't, I didn't even know when any elections were going on or anything like that. So is it like where there's like a drive there where like there's a specific time period where like, like there's booths set up? Or is it like you just went out and was like, I want to get involved. I want to know about this. Or was it kind of like you saw it and you're like, and eventually it kind of evolved into you getting involved in a different way, like in the capacity that you're in now. Um, so I would shout out Spelman for this. They're pretty good at voter registration drives, like specifically during um, like the new student orientation period and even like closer to the voter registration deadline. Um, the school itself does some, but specifically through SGA. Then there are other organizations on campus like Young Democrats, um, Andrew, excuse me, I forgot the name, but um, but there are like other like organizations on campus that are focused on civic engagement that like push voter registration. Yeah. Were you were you tied to any of those organizations like at Grambling? I did SGA. Like, did you you know since participate in SGA or do well positions? Not to uh, toot my own horn, to, but to, I was actually involved in. Uh, Young Democrats of America and the National Council of Negro Women Incorporated, and I was president of both of those uh, my senior year. Um, okay, oh, prayers, ma'am. Senior. Junior year. So. <laughs> <laughs> because you were so you were NCNW president, and you were studying abroad at the same time, right? No, so I I um, I studied abroad the second semester of my junior year. So when I came back, I was co-president okay. of NCNW. That's big. Like, what does that mean? Because Spelman is, Spelman to me, kind of like Howard, Morehouse, Hampton, like, I feel like whenever there's something major going on in America, those tend to be the HBCUs where people gravitate to, you know, hear from their SGA presidents or from the leaders of their organizations. Did you ever experience anything like that? Yeah, especially with the Young Democrats um, and even during the um, the year that um, Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams were running for governor, there were a lot of people who gravitated towards Spelman's campus. And being YDA's um, co-president um, at the time, was I co-president at the time? I'm gonna be getting my like dates mixed up. But even, but regardless, even when we moved into like the presidential primary with um, you know Biden and everyone else leading into 2020, there are a lot of organizations, news outlets that would reach out for like quotes or um, comment or they would want me to pass information along to students or see if there were students who could share their stories with voting. Um, so yeah, there was definitely a lot of um, people outside of campus who were uh, contacting me regarding politics. So being as involved as you were, what's like one event, even if you weren't like on the organization side, what's one event that just like stands out in your uh, college experience as filming? Um, one event. I don't even know. I've had plenty. Um, 
Okay, so now are we talking about like a good event or like or like a a life changing or like my altering? I will say something that stands out to me, and I remember this so well because it changed my perception of politics in general. I actually took a break from politics after this, but after the 2016 election, um, which was particularly depressing, um, as we know, um, I want to say in uh, like January or February of 2017, I actually went to Atlanta City Council with a few other organizers to protest because this was around the time that Georgia State had sold, um, not Georgia State, the city of Atlanta sold um, Turner Field to Georgia State. And I think at the time, the a lot of the communities around Turner Field were like wanting some type of community benefits agreement just to ensure that their communities would be protected after um, the sale of the stadium. Um, and of course that did not happen. Um, so we went to protest and I remember like a lot of the people on city council, they were just, I mean, I mean, they really did not care about any of the, the concerns that um, the community members had. Uh, a lot of them were on their phones. Some of them were like in and out of the room. Like they just really didn't care during the public comment uh, section. And I actually remember, um, I won't say her name. Well, you could probably look it up, but the rep, the person who was the council member for this specific community, I remember she was like very, I don't know, like she started doing like this little, I guess she thought she was cute, but she started like waving at us and like making little sarcastic faces at us. And I remember after that, I was like, even on the city level, like all these people got problems. So I took a break after that for a while. And it actually wasn't until Stacy ran that I got involved again because she was like the first politician that I just loved mm-hmm. like completely. Why do you think that is though? Like, why do you think, cause I mean, city level politics tend to be really, I would say under attended events mm-hmm. <laughs> in comparison to like our national elections. But for people to care enough to show up to these city meetings and for you all to get the response that you got, like, why do you think that is? Like, that people were so cold, I guess. Uh, Well, I think part of it is, like you said, like, some of them are underattended. Like, I think the average person doesn't really pay attention to um, local level politics um, in the way that you would want them to. So a lot can, like, go under the radar and I think a lot of local elected officials count on that um, because it means that they can keep running unopposed it means that they can you know put forth or pass measures that aren't aren't necessarily in the best interest of the people but maybe in the best interest of their pockets and then when you're talking about a city like Atlanta that's home to so many different corporations even now there are still corporations you know looking for another headquarters and a lot of um, city council officials, they just want Atlanta to be that that hub, I guess, but they don't necessarily, well, they want Atlanta to be the hub so bad that they're not considering the impact of the communities. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that. That's really interesting. Um, I mean, especially us, Kristen, a spoiler alert, uh, also grew up in Precise, um, <laughs> like the rest of us. Um, 
And it's so interesting to hear that perspective about city level politics because you often think of small town politics or the good old boys club. But, and you know, we get a bad rap for that in smaller towns, but it sounds like that was also happening in larger cities as well. So that's interesting. Um, I will say, because before going to college, I actually got involved in local level politics in society in our district specifically, like with school board elections, city council, district attorney, like 2016, the spring was a pretty good, um, there were quite a few um, local elections going on at the time that I got involved in. And yeah, that was eye-opening too, because there were some candidates, like they changed their messaging sort of depending on who their audience was so um i mean people just want to get elected and then after they get elected they want to stay elected um and i guess that's the bad thing about not having term limits is that people continue to just let certain issues hang in the like i guess hang in the middle so they, they can use it to you know campaign on and say hey if you elect me i'll get this done then it's like a repeat um a cycle. Yes, a cycle. So I got I got two questions for you. First question, like I guess prior to attending Spelman College, did you ever have any interest in politics? Like did you ever look at it like when you were in like middle school, high school, like knowing like you know you probably couldn't vote, but just did you have did it ever, you know, pique your interest? Yeah. Um, the long version of my interest in politics, I remember this, it started when I was in fourth grade, um, and that was during the primary of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. Um, when Ooh, were- fourth grade. <laughs> yeah, I remember <laughs> that, I guess. <laughs> but no, I remember because I remember going to my parents and being like, what's the Democrat? Like, what's the Republican? <laughs> like little, you know, there were um, Caucasian children in my class who would speak about it. <laughs> and I was confused. So I wanted to know more. And then I remember, I think I fell asleep on election night, but I remember mom and dad like screaming and I woke up to the fact that Barack Obama had won the um, election. I was when she like, was in the fourth grade, mind you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I wanted to learn more. And then I, I started watching like um, the news with my mom. Like she loves Rachel Maddow. So Rachel Maddow was like, my top um, reporter for a long time. She's and in your I, top five? Yeah, so. <laughs> um, but yeah, then I started getting involved in more. I think when I was 17, I volunteered on my first campaign. And that was after I finally had a car so I could get involved the way I wanted to. And then it just took off when I got to school. Yeah, I can tell you that they were causing, they were causing a ruckus, Kristen and her. <laughs> During high school, <laughs> over several issues, not just in their school, but in the oh, city. Yeah. Y'all were. Yeah, this is actually a little known fact, and I forget about it all the time. But I remember when we were seniors in high school, us and like three of our friends, we challenged the sex education program in our county. Like, I mean, we had like the local news coverage and everything. Like, we showed up to the school board meetings. We were like, so gonna fix this or no and we have some really bad articles written about us in the paper it was pretty bad I mean you can't be legendary and precise without a, an art without being mentioned in an article by that man <laughs> yeah I, I I think I think that's a nice segue to like my second question so the fact that you 
actually got, you know, so you had some activism like prior to uh, college and then you were heavily involved in college and you, and you, you know, you obviously learned a lot and, and were in, in different organizations. What do you think your HBCU experience or, or how do you think your HBCU experience shaped your approach to politics? Like what lessons did you learn at Spelman that you could like, leverage uh, working with uh, sister, sister Stacey? Okay, y'all don't get mad at me. Um, I will say that Spelman College, like many other colleges and universities, they are institutions. Speak your truth. Um, yeah. and apologetic. Don't hold back. Some as as much as they breed people who are activists, revolutionaries, etc. That does not always mean they support those students while they are on campus now will they stop mm. you and clap for you after you leave the campus like alice walker and uh other folks yeah they absolutely will stacy abrams yeah while you are on campus you will have some challenges um and there were some that you know we had on campus but i will say um i don't know you really just have to stay grounded in your beliefs and and um, just you just have to have the conviction and know that what you're doing or trying to do is the right thing um, because at the end of the day, I mean, in an institution like Spelman, any other institution, they their first and foremost are looking to protect their institution, um, their pockets. So I'm sorry to say that, but. So do you think, I mean, that's that's a really good um, question because I think, or not, well, Jordan's question was good, but also your response. Because I think that we often want to like protect our HBCU, right, in, in our experiences, but what you said can be very much so the truth. Why do you think that is though? Like, why do you think that sometimes HBCUs might have a vested interest in kind of quelling those students um, protest, kind of like what we've seen at Howard University. Um, I mean, I guess, I mean, the first thing is, I guess, for any institution, you don't want bad publicity. Um, like what's going on with Howard right now is, um, I'm pretty sure we've all seen it, but to sum it up, there's a big housing issue at Howard um, and a lot of health and safety concerns, but I mean, you just never want issues like that to, I guess, become what your institution is known for. Um, so, you know, that can cause an issue. Um, and also, I think, uh, depending on the administration, like the presidents or, you know, I guess they probably have an idea of what they want their students to be like. Um, and oftentimes, like that's not a student that is disruptive to the status quo. So to be that student, you know, you know, you start to cause an issue there. Do you think it could also come down to like how, like don't put negativity out there. Like um, as black people, you know, it's like, don't do anything that would cause like people to look down on us as like, don't bring any negative attention this way, whatever. Even if you're right in what you're requesting or you're right in what you're standing up for, like, you know, like basically keep our business to ourselves. Don't 
make it known or don't cause a ruckus to where you're drawing attention to us in a negative way. Like, don't call us on our show. Like, do you think it has a lot to do with that? Because there are already negative outlooks on certain organizations or like, they don't want like, see, we knew that's what was up or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, that's probably a large part of it too. Um, Cause like with the publicity piece I mentioned, like it, they probably feel like it could give people a reason to be like, oh, well, HBCUs are this or that, or look what's going on. Um, you know, other, I know we've all seen the HBCU versus PWI debate. I don't like to get into that, but even other black people who, you know, may not see the value in HBCUs. Well, see, this thing going on at my PWI. Um, you know, there's a lot of things going on at your PWI, but we're going to talk about that another time. Um, and it's just about transparency. I think if everybody was transparent on every end and could have the open conversations, it would just make better for everybody. Because if you can have the conversation say, like, this is what we feel on the student side, and they can say, well, this is what we're feeling on the faculty side or the administration, where can we come to the middle and agree or disagree on it? If everybody could be transparent without feeling like, oh, if that's out in the media, people are going to look down on us. Look, everything is to let's just get let's do better. Let's get better. Let's do it together. I think if everybody was just more transparent, it could be a lot easier to make the strides for everybody to do better. It's yeah. Just- and that's another piece. I think before things like hit the media and take off. Um, what people don't see is that there are students um, who try to go to the administration first before it even gets to that point. So by the time something hits the media um, or it's going viral on social media, I think people have to understand that this is now a, we've talked to our administration, they are not willing to do anything or they're not willing to do anything um, in a timely manner. So now it's like, we have to take action into our own hands because you're not willing to act. And so maybe this will get you to do what you need to do. Yeah. I mean, thinking about that, Spelman especially has produced so many, um, I, you know, like you said, revolutionary women, you know, from your Miriam Wright Elements, who was really challenging like child poverty um, and issues in education, all the way up to Stacey Abrams, who has been challenging voters' rights um in the way in which we like participate in politics in america so how do you think the hbcus are still able to produce such revolutionaries despite those restrictions um well i mean okay um because yeah it was but I, i will say like despite like that part of it i think there's a lot that you can learn from HBCUs. And I don't mean like just in the classroom, I mean outside of it um, as well. Um, So I think, I know like without, even though Spellman used to make me mad sometimes and I'd be ignoring that girl's postcards when they come in the mail, I feel like when I was on campus, like there was just a lot that I learned for myself and a lot of opportunities that were um, afforded to me. Um, just by being at Spelman. Um, and I also would give Spelman, you know, quite a bit of credit for helping to shape the woman that I am now. Um, so I think despite some of the, um, you know, pushback you can get from the administration, there's still a lot that you can gain and learn from, you know, being on the HBCU campus. Um, 
And also like, you know, I think a lot of people just use the pushback as motivation. Um, I know I did. So, I mean, you know, to love an institution and to want it to be better, you sort of, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to bump heads with it a few times. And, but for anything that you love and care about, you want it to be better, you, you know, you're going to have to do your part to hold it accountable to see that it gets better. And that's what a lot of people, um, like the people you may have done. Um, and I know that there are students who will continue to do so. Absolutely. Yeah, you and Dee mentioned something that uh, obviously I kind of want to lean into what you what you stated about you know how what you've used that that those no's and everything that you use kind of motivation. <laughs> you you probably know where I'm going with this here shortly. Um, in your own words, what is the importance of voting? <laughs> And what does voting mean to you <laughs> since you work with uh, Sister, Sister Stacy? I took it there because she also mentioned that she took a step back in, in 2017. Um, and I'm sure you were even more stressed in 2018, 2019. But just what does voting mean to you? Uh, and like, what's the importance of voting for, especially for like young people? Like, I'll say folks in, the, in our immediate demographic, you know, 18 to 40. Whew, okay. Um, okay. So, jeez, uh, because there's so much you can say on the topic of voting, really. Um, but I think that um, when it comes to electoral politics, when it comes to voting, I think that's just one of the avenues someone can take in order to um, sort of influence like change. I don't believe that it is the only tool in the toolbox you can use, but it's definitely one that you don't want to leave up the chance. Like, um, I think there's a lot of power that can be left at the ballot. And also, I just feel like you can really shape your, um, I would say there's just so much that can be done when you, when more people vote, and especially when you think about local level politics, um, because as I mentioned earlier, like they count on the fact that people aren't showing up. And I don't mean just those every four years for the presidential election, because those are a lot of times that is what people think about when they think of voting or when they think about not wanting to vote. But then there are so many people who don't consider, you know, what goes on in between, like those midterm elections, those local elections for your mayor, your city councilor, your um, state legislators um, and and those like individuals influence so much like what's going on right now. So all over the country, like census data dropped maybe two or three months ago, I want to say two. And now like the lines are being drawn um, for every district in every single state. Um, and in a lot of states, those districts are drawn by your state legislators. Um, and so I know right now some of the proposed maps for Georgia drastically reduce like the um, the number of competitive districts that um, the state has, meaning that the incumbent or who's been there for however many hour years is probably going to stay there um, for a while until they're ready to pass the baton to whoever they want to pass it to. Um, so it's something like that, like if more people showed up to uh, vote in those like in between elections, you know, our state legislator can look way different. Um, a lot of city uh, governments could look way different. Um, and then you also got to think about like infrastructure, community programming, like there's just so much that 
um, goes into those local governments that a lot of people don't consider. Um, so I completely understand people who, you know, have their, um, I guess their hesitance when it comes to presidential elections, but the reality is um, the city governments have way bigger impact. Your local government has way bigger impact than the president does. Um, and a lot yeah. of people don't realize that. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I don't think people see the immediate effects of even a railroad commissioner, but that's on the ballot. And that's a position that you can vote for. And it can it may shape something so subtle, but nevertheless, it does shape something. So when, when you don't do that, it, it can have long lasting effects. I mean, you mentioned the census data. Though some of those lines are will stand for the next 10 years until we conduct our next census. And that can just have long lasting impacts to folks' healthcare benefits, so on and so forth. Um, but and, and, and just if I can, I want to lean into you mentioned voting is just one of the tools in the toolbox. Could you say more about some of the other tools that may be out there for folks? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it really just depends on, you know, which method you want to get into. But um, I think a really big piece of like continuing to shape this country and make sure people are involved. One big piece is going to be community education, um, making sure like you're getting out and actually talking to people. Um, one thing that used to always, always um, get to me, like speaking to other people about politics, is that a lot of people have these thoughts and opinions on uh, what should happen, but not a lot of people have taken the time to speak to people in the community that they're trying to affect. Um, so organizing, like organizing the community, um, getting out, like knocking your door. I mean, I know we're in a pandemic now, but that can be something like um, making phone calls. Um, of course, there's voting, you can protest, you can um, go and talk to your you know, your local elected officials and hold them accountable when they come to have whatever local event they do to um, speak with their constituents. Um, there's even social media aspect. Um, I know a lot of people sort of, I know a lot of people sort of like have their, um, I guess their, their backlash. I don't know if that's the right word for people who usually use social media. But social media, like in this day and age, is a really big tool for like calling attention to something. And it does a really great job. Um, it's also a really good tool for spreading um, the news about something. A lot of people, especially um, like um, in the recent generation, what is that, Gen Z? Yeah, that's your generation, Chris. I'm on the cusp of Gen Z. Millennials. I don't really. It depends on the day. It depends on the day that I will claim which one. You don't claim but, them. They claim her. <laughs> anyway, but everyone, but you know, they'll say like, when I wake up, I get on Twitter, and that's my news for the day. So, um, and there's even like some in some like small towns, or um, there are people who still read the paper. I mean, you can write uh, an opinion uh, letter to your paper, have it published, um, so call attention to an issue that way. Um, but yeah, those are just a, a few of the things, but there's definitely more that can be done. Um, and I think a lot of people feel like, okay, I'm going to show up to vote. Okay, that's done. I'll see y'all in four years. But there's more that you can be doing in between the time. Um, like, you know, those things that I mentioned. The, the, I really do love the, the fact that you mentioned education. I mean, when I've had conversations with folks, I think that's probably the, the biggest issue a lot of times we only hear sound bites of, of uh, you know, political client, uh, uh, political uh, politicians, excuse me. 
we only like little sound bites. We don't ever, we, we, we rarely ever know like their full agenda or what's really on the ballot. And I think just educating voters uh, could be a key piece. So, you know, what's some of the things that you guys are working on uh, at Fair Fight right now? Um, so I will say one thing that has been um, airing is our uh, civics for the culture um, education piece. So it's like every, um, I forgot how often they release, but it's sort of like a video that breaks down like a part of government. So like a, a 101 type of situation um, that we hope people will engage in to sort of explain to them like the different, you know, uh, parts of government or, you know, what does this type of official do? Um, so something as basic as that. Um, so just, I think with anyone who's wanting to get engaged with politics, you, it's not, um, it doesn't have to be, it's not difficult. It doesn't have to be like engaging with fancy rhetoric or, or you know, something like that. Like it can just be as simple as learning what it is that your local um, officials do, um, seeing what they impact, and then also showing up to your city council meetings or your their county commission meetings. And if you can't do that, usually um, most of them will publish their meeting minutes online. So all of that is public record. I know the Georgia State Legislator, um, live streams, their um, committee meetings. Uh, so those are all on the website. I think a lot of people just don't know where to go. So those are some places that you could go to start listening in. Um, all of those bills are published online. Um, now I will say though, some of them are written um, really interestingly um, that may not be completely accessible, um, but there's usually, um, community organizations that can break it down um, in a way that is understandable. Um, and that's another thing. I think it's important to tap into your local organizations um, because you know there is a fair fight action, but there are also organizations in your local community that are you know doing the same work or similar work that need um, assistance, that need donations, that need people to tap in as well um, so that they can reach people that you know larger organizations may not be able to reach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because I think Fair Fight has gotten a lot of, um, you know, has been in the spotlight because of the most recent election. But like you said, there are local orgs, um, local party chapter affiliations, NAACP. I know I always get text messages from them around election time um, <laughs> who are, you know, looking for volunteers and donations and things like that. Yeah, and volunteering. I mean, literally, I my start in politics was volunteering. I did not get paid for anything, but it was cool because I got paid and experience and the joy of speaking to people and the joy of just hopefully maybe getting close to winning an election. <laughs> getting close. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like when you're, um, we're in Georgia, so obviously you know there's a certain party that has dominated for quite some time. So when you're on the other side. You know, you just hold on to hope and a dream, and you just you just pray, <laughs> and we, we get closer and closer because you know what we got close. What a year ago, we did. We didn't even get yeah. close. We brought it home, and you know what? What happened a year ago, twenty twenty election? That takes years and years of people laying the groundwork. So that was not anything that happened overnight whatsoever that has been volunteers, organizers, people on the ground who have been chipping away and chipping away for years and years. 
So how do we protect that? Like, what do we have coming up next? What are some things that people can do to prepare? Because I know voting laws have changed a little bit. Um, what should we be expecting in our next big elections? Um, so as far as voting laws, um, that can vary um, state by state. I know Georgia has put forth um, Senate Bill 202 last legislative session that really um, curbed some access to the ballot, specifically when it comes to absentee ballots. Um, and even that law itself is um, can be kind of difficult to understand, but the best thing I recommend is, um, I guess, finding a, a resource or a website or that just sort of simplifies it. Um, but more than that, um, I will say the Voting Rights Act um, that we all know and love has been getting gutted by the Supreme Court um, for years now. And uh, I believe the Supreme Court just gutted another piece of it a few months ago, but it's, um, let's just say it, it doesn't have the same strength that it originally did when it was first um, signed into law. And so right now there are two pieces of legislation in Congress um, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and the For the People Act that um, their purpose is to sort of make up for what the Voting Rights Act lost. Um, and it would have a big effect on redistricting. It would have a big, big effect on people's access to the ballot. So one thing people can definitely do is call your senators and tell them to vote on this bill. Uh, I think this bill has been getting held up in Congress for a while now, for months now. Um, so yeah, call your senators, let them know that you're paying attention and you want them to take a vote on this bill um, and to actually get it out, you know, get it on Joe Biden's desk, sign a new Voting Rights Act into law. Awesome. For sure. Um, I, did, I did just have one, one thing for you and, and just out of curiosity, uh, since this is unapologetic to HBCU, what role uh, do HBCUs play or can HBCU play uh, with the fair fight initiatives, like is there a way that HBCUs can partner with you all, or are we are, are HBCUs in Atlanta already partnered with the fair fight initiative? Um, so I won't say HBCUs directly, but fair fight now has um, collegiate level chapters called fair fight U. Um, I know Spellman recently established one. I believe there's one on UGA's campus. Um, so. Uh, Fair Fight is working to expand to collegiate level students, and there are a few chapters um, in different colleges around the state of Georgia. Um, and I know that our team is actually hoping to expand that work so that way, and with more than just um, pushing for like voter registration, we can push for voter education to actually keep people like up to date on what is going on on college level campuses. Um, so yeah. Where can the people Ooh. find you and find out more information about Fair Fight? Fairfight.com. <laughs> but if you want to tap into me and all of my awesomeness, um, <laughs> because I am awesome, on Twitter and Instagram, I am at the underscore KHW. Let me repeat that at T H E underscore KHW. Now on Twitter, you will find that all I do is retweet. However, every so often I will make a tweet and it is usually amazing sometimes. So are you saying that your tweets slap? Is that what Gen Z says? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't think Gen Z says that. I think 
70 plus year old mothers say that when they're trying to relate to Gen Z. Okay. Um, Here we go. Here we go. Clearly they're sisters. Let's wrap this up before it gets more intense. Yeah. Right. Um, but I also retweet things for Fair Fight. So you can find Fair Fight on social media as well, posting all the updates, all the all the tools you could use. And even other organizations, NAACP, Black Votes Matters, um, tap into some of those work that other organizations as well. So and tap, tap, tap in. And, and, and you are awesome. I, I will give you that. Is there anything else you want to plug or, or have the, the listeners check out that you you know you may be doing independent of Fair Fight or? Um, I will plug that I have a very adorable and precious eight-month-old baby. Oh. Shout out to my baby because she's in the next room and I feel like I want to go hug her. I want to go hug her too. So we have to end. <laughs> All right, well, that was another episode of Unapologetically HBCU. Find us always on Spotify or wherever you can find or listen to podcasts. And check us out on Instagram at Unapologetically HBCU. We out. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Kristen.